Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been in this series for a while. I was reminded at prayer this Saturday with the men um, that uh, we've been in there about a year. That may be right. I don't know. Um, I've got good news for you. I don't think it'll take a year to finish, though. I think, I think it'll be less than that before we finish it. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24, that's where we're going to be at this morning. There's two pictures I want you to get in your mind before we dive into this passage. They both have to do with clothing, all right? A little true confession here. How many of you have an article or articles of clothing in your closet or in drawers in your room, you know, in a chest or drawer somewhere, that should have long ago been retired, all right? Okay? That t-shirt that's got more holes in it than Swiss cheese, all right? And you, as a matter of fact, your wife has tried to get rid of it and you've threatened divorce over it. I know, I mean, that one. Those sweatpants that the elastic long ago surrendered and gave up the fight, all right? You, you, we've all got that stuff, right? I had a pair of shoes one time. I had a pair of dress shoes, men's dress shoes, that I had had for as long as we'd been married. And um, w- one day, it was a sad day, we had to have a special service. One day... On the side, my foot literally wore a hole through the leather on the top part. It, 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 just, it just parted ways right there. So you could see my little, my little toe on both sides. But I was wearing socks. I told Lori I could wear black socks. Nobody know the difference, all right? She's like, Troy, you cannot keep wearing those shoes. So I bought a new pair of shoes. I kept those shoes for two more years in my closet. All right. <laughs> Somehow thinking God might miraculously resurrect them, all right? Bring them back to life. We all have that kind of stuff. That's an important picture in what we're going to talk about this morning. Here's the other picture. How many of you have, you've been out, and it's, this is not hard to do in Florida. You've been out, you've been working or exercising, whatever. You are hot, you are sweaty, you are dirty, you are nasty, all right? And all you want to do is what? Shower, right? So you know what I'm talking about. So we've all had those two experiences, or at least most of us had those two experiences, right? Those two pictures are going to help you this morning as we look at these verses, all right? Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 4. So put off your old self. Some of your translations may say the old man or the old nature. I'll talk a minute, in a minute about that. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's verse 22. So there's this put off your old, some would like to say your nature. This is, this is confusing, and I want to try to be as clear as I can, because when we start talking about understanding what the Greek is really saying, and, and the New Testament in our Bibles was originally written in Greek. And so understanding this concept of an old man or an old nature Um, an old person, if you will, not old in the sense of chronological years, but in a a, a different characteristic, a different DNA, if you will. The scripture clearly teaches us that when you and I are born again, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we receive him as our Savior, we become new creations. 1 Corinthians 5 says we are new creations. We have new life as a matter of fact, Ephesians, I mean, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the child of God. So there's a part of us, the spirit of man that's in us. We don't 
can't see it in an autopsy, but somehow this part of who we are, the Holy Spirit, when we are born again, that part of us, that man-spirit part of us was dead. All right, that's what the scripture teaches. It was dead. It was unresponsive to God and his promptings and who he is and his desires. He sends his spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in you and me, in our spirit, and we become a new creation. Born again is a term. Salvation, conversion. You hear all these different terms, but that's what we're talking about. It is a supernatural, miraculous thing that happens. If you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't experienced it, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And so we become this new creation. And so when we start reading passages like this, there becomes this often fight or argument in the Christian community. Do we have an old nature or not? Do we have an old man or not? And that's where I think sometimes it gets a little difficult to parse out the Greek here and what it's saying. We definitely are new creations and have a new nature that we have been given. The Spirit of God comes into us, and we are now His, and that new nature is there. I don't have the same nature that I once had, all right? It's different. But it says, Troy, it, you, it says right here, put off your old self. We're going to explain what all that looks like. Because Paul also talks about, Roman, in Romans 6, 7, and 8, tremendous section of Scripture. But he talks about how he identifies this thing called the flesh. And we think of flesh as physical body, but in the scripture, it's not really so much referring to physical body as it is a way of living, a way of thinking, um, a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of structure, a different set of rules, if you will. This flesh is designed for the old way of life, for Satan's purposes, for the kingdom opposed to God and opposed to his desires. And so, and this flesh, according to Romans chapter 8, even after I become a believer, it's still there. All right? I don't have an old nature. I've been, let me explain it this way. Any of you ever know what it's like to be really poor and just barely making it? You know what that's like? All right? Many of us have had that experience. You find out today, after service, that you had a rich relative you did not know you even had. And they like you for some reason, all right? And they have left you millions, okay? They have left you a fortune. And you're all excited. Yay, I have all this money. And you go out tomorrow and the next day and the day after, and you keep living the way you've always lived. Now, let me ask you, are you still a poor person? In your way you're living, you are. But are you still a poor person? No, you're a rich man. You're a rich woman living as a poor person. Many Christians are rich living as paupers. This is what Paul is addressing here. He's been addressing as we walk through the book of Ephesians. Is that we have been given a new name. We have been given new life. We have been adopted in, given all the rights of inheritance that comes by being part of the family. All of its hours. And yet we often still live, and Paul recognizes this, it's very easy to live the way we've always lived, even before we knew Christ. And he's saying there's going to have to be an active participation on your part to put off this old way of thinking in order to put on something new. Now, you've already had this done for you in your spirit, in that deepest part of who you are. The Holy Spirit has done that work. Now, you and I are responding to his grace 
and cooperating with him. Does that make sense? I don't know how to make it a whole lot clearer. I've been pondering, how do we make this clear? Because it can be a little confusing. Even at times I get confused. I'm looking at this. Lord, where's the balance in all of this? It is, I love the phrase that D.A. Carson uses, it is grace-driven effort. It's all of grace, and yet you and I participate in that grace. Which means at times there are things we have to put off and put on. That's what we're going to talk about today. All right. So, but here's the thing that you need to understand. Remember my first illustration about those things you don't, in your closet or in your drawers? You don't want to get rid of them. They are long past their wear date. They don't work anymore, but you don't want to get rid of them. One of the reasons is they're comfortable. You know why I didn't want to get rid of those shoes and get new shoes? Because you've got to break in new shoes. And it hurts. It's uncomfortable on my feet. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem to fit. I remember that with the kids. First time getting them. Matter of fact, Andrew was always in tours. He never wanted to wear dress shoes. Because they weren't like, he said, these don't feel like tennis shoes. Because they're not tennis shoes. All right? They're dress shoes. They're meant, they hurt. They're meant to hurt. All right? They're supposed to hurt. They're dress shoes. That's reason you don't wear them all the time. But we don't like it. We don't want that. I want, I want it to be comfortable. I like that pair of sweatpants that long ago gave up the ghost. I mean, they're comfortable. I like that t-shirt. That's whole, it's got ventilation in it. I like it. It's comfortable. Here's the thing that we need to understand. That often we look at this, this, these deceitful desires that corrupt. We look at them as though they're going to come snarling like a beast out of a horror film and they don't they're very comfortable they're very easy to fall back into they're not sometimes they may look like that horrible beast but often they look very comfortable very inviting they seem very normal and very natural this is the this is the challenge that we have the challenge of falling back into what just seems comfortable and easy. You say, what do you mean, Troy? Let me give you some examples. I love this. This is a quote by Ray Stedman. He's talking about this passage. Because, again, this says deceitful desire. Some of your translations may say deceitful lust. Anybody have a translation that says deceitful lust? There's a few of those. Um, I would translate, desires is not a bad bad translation. I would probably also translate it urges, urges. Um, A a good way to think about it, these internal urges that we have. And often when we think of love, we hear the word lust, we think only in a sexual sense. But this is a much broader word. It covers a whole lot more than just sexual urges, all right? And so let me read this to you by Ray Stedman because I think it gives a little insight into it. For instance... There is the urge to fulfill yourself by indulging in an orgy of spending. That's one kind of urge he's describing here. The urge to make yourself happy by owning or acquiring things. There's the urge, matter of fact, we have a term for that, don't we? We call it retail therapy. Isn't that our term? There is the urge to use others for our own advantage. Did you ever feel the urge to manipulate others? To maneuver them in subtle, devious, clever, hidden ways? To get them to do what you want them to do for your advantage with little concern for them? 
You do not have their interest at heart, but yours. There's the urge to nag others into compliance with what we want. There is a different approach. This is a different approach to the same thing. It is the urge to keep after them, pestering them, picket them, surround them, hound them, beat them, badger them into getting done what we want done. I had a conversation with someone yesterday about this very thing. And I had to stop them. I hope I did it full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I had to stop them and say, quit pushing me. Not physically. They were badgering. They were pushing. And I had to stop and say, quit pushing me. All right? We need to, by the way, that is allowed in a nice, spirit-filled way to set boundaries and say, you're pushing me, or at least I feel as though you are pushing me, you are badgering me, you're trying to force me or manipulate me into doing something that I'm not ready to do. And you can simply say, please stop. We beat them, badger them into getting done what we want done. This is another way of satisfying the ego ministering to the basic urge of life. Perhaps the urge we feel is the urge to lie or cheat to get by, to gain an advantage. All these are basically urges to do the same thing, to satisfy that basic desire to be in the center of things, the center of attention, the focus of life around us. There is the urge to criticize what we do not understand, the urge to have our feelings hurt and indulge in self-pity. He doesn't mean we have an urge to have our feelings hurt. He means when our feelings get hurt, we have an urge to indulge in self-pity. The urge to adopt a martyr attitude and feel humiliated at any failure on our part. There's the urge to be impatient with others. Or the urge, that one hurts. I wish he'd have left that one out, all right? Um, or the urge to be irritated when our opinion is not accepted. The urge to defensiveness when our position is attacked. There is the urge to fight those who do not think as we do, to despise or to blame others. There is the holier-than-thou urge, which makes us feel righteous, better, cleaner, more respectable than someone else. These are the urges the apostle is talking about. He says, put them off. Put them off. Divest yourself of them. Take them off like you would clothing. Remember the illustration of the dirty clothes? We said we all long for a shower. How many come in, get the shower just the right temperature, hop in with your clothes on and start lathering up? How many do that? But in our Christian life, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. As though somehow washing them is going to make them better. They're still part of the old way. They're still part of a different kingdom. So Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying here, he's saying you have to receive the grace of God and then as an act of your will, as a response to that grace, put off these old things, this old way of thinking. This way of thinking that lying is going to get me what I want, cheating is going to get me what I want, manipulating is going to get me what I want, being in control is going to get me what I want. That, that imagination about that person is going to get me what I want. That speaking my own mind in my own way, in my own flesh, going to get me what I want. He's saying, remember last week as we were talking about those passages 17 to 20, or 17 to 21? He's not talking so much about starting with changing the things that we do in our life, the physical activity. He says, first of all, you start internally changing the way you think. And as you change the way you think, it changes what you do.
We keep trying to clean up the outside. It's like getting in the shower with the dirty clothes and just, wa- and just showering with the clothes on. We just get wet. Nothing really changes. Before I can put on the new, I take off the old. And then he goes in the next verse and he says, as you're taking this off, you, you, he says, you're putting off the old self with, which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt thought uh, through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is, a, this is a cleansing, if you will, a changing, a washing that's taking place. It's that picture of taking off the dirty clothes, taking the shower. This is the shower part. This is what he's talking about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit's coming and he's teaching us how to think differently, how to take these things. For example, let's take Ray's his statements here. You're urged to fulfill yourself by indulging in an orgy of spending. All right? First of all, I have to recognize that that does not satisfy. That's not part of the kingdom. All right? Now, is it wrong to shop and get things? No, absolutely not. Is it wrong to try to meet the deepest needs of my life by shopping? Absolutely it is. It can't do that. It cannot do for you what Jesus does. And yet we have a whole culture that's built around it. If we don't consume as a nation, we go bankrupt. That's just the way it is, folks. You think, well, I'm helping the nation then if I go shopping. <laughs> Let's help them in a better way. So you say, well, okay, I put off that thinking that I am not to meet every need by just going and spending or acquiring and by the way, guys, we can do the same thing. We may not go to the mall or the other place because I don't, honestly, I don't even like to go in stores. But when I want something, I know how to acquire it. I can go get it. Or I can see it and think, I don't want to go in the mall, but I can spend a long time in Lowe's, all right? Come out with way more than I need. So this isn't just, it isn't, it isn't limited to one gender, one group of people. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic place you fall either. You cannot have a lot and still try to meet that need through spending. Or you can have much and try to meet that need through spending. What does Luke 12, 15 say? Because we want to wash and we want to put on something new. Jesus said in Luke 12, he said, be aware of covetousness because a man or a woman's life does not consist of the abundance of things they possess. Now that's truth that we put on. I put off this lie that I'm going to find happiness and contentment and fulfillment in buying and acquiring. And I want to be cleansed and washed by the Spirit, this renewing process, and then I'm putting on the truth, which is my life doesn't consist with the abundance of things that I possess. This is an active, you're you're actively participating in this on a daily basis. This isn't a one-time deal. This is the same thing that happened at salvation. If you are born again, you did this. The Spirit of God made you aware that you were lost, that you were hopeless without God. You needed a Savior. He did that. He brought brought that revelation to you. He poured out His grace on you. You responded to that. By your will, you responded to it. Again, He initiated it. He poured out everything that was necessary. He did all the work. Then you're responding to that work as an act of your will and saying, I believe, I believe, Lord, I receive. 
I accept whatever term you want to put on it. And then, what does he say in Colossians chapter 2? He says, in the same way that you and I came to faith, we are to continue to walk in it daily. So the same thing that happened when I got saved happens to me every day. God pours out his grace. He reveals these areas where I'm trying to wear something that should have been discarded a long time ago. Something that may feel very comfortable and very natural to go back to. But he's saying, I want you to put it off. And you, you're going to have to respond to his grace and by an act of your will, put it off. Say, I do not choose that. I'm going to agree with you, Lord. I'm going to agree with you that this urge to use others for my own advantage, to manipulate them, to maneuver them, to try to find clever hidden ways to get them to do what I want them to do. Lord, that is not of your kingdom. That's not how you operate. That's not who you are. I confess that. This is biblical confession. I agree with you. I confess that. That's not who you are. It's not who I am any longer. It doesn't fit. It's like me trying to wear clothes I wore in high school. They don't fit, all right? They don't fit. And it looks bad if you try to do it. And it's very, very uncomfortable. These things don't fit who we are, the new creation that we are. We confess. We agree. God, I agree with you. They don't fit who I am. I want to be washed by your Spirit. Thank you for this. And Holy Spirit, would you come and do a work in that area, in that area of belief in my life, where I'm believing these things, where I've believed it for a long time and I've acted on it for a long time, do a work there. I'm cooperating with you to do a work there in that place in my life. And then I'm going to put on. What do I put on? I put on his truth. The truth that he speaks to me through his revealed word, the truth that he speaks to me by his spirit. And often these two come together because he'll bring things to your mind that you haven't thought about. You're praying, you're crying out, say, Lord, wash me in this area. Holy Spirit, do a work in this area of my life. I'm cooperating with you, but I recognize you do the work. And then he brings, in this particular one, he could bring Philippians chapter 2 to your mind. Verse 3. Where he says, do nothing through, through ambition and conceit, selfish ambition and conceit, but in everything, by humility in everything, think of others better than you think of yourself. Now see, that's a new kingdom way of thinking. That's putting on a whole new way of thinking. Do you see what the apostle's saying here? He's saying there's this put off, shower, put on. Just think of that picture. Put off, shower, put on. You have to actively participate in this. He's provided everything you need. He does the work. He pours out the grace. I just participate. I respond to it. But you have to respond. It is grace-driven effort. He goes on. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, notice where this is in thinking, how we think. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, how does this work in real life? Lori, I'm going to ask you to come play. How does this work in real life? I've shared my story with you a number of years ago. I was in church, actually my first church that I served in. As associate, I did uh, music and youth. Um, and as I was doing this, I, um, I was young and dumb and full of myself <laughs> in many ways. 
and there was conflict with me and the senior pastor. And ultimately, the end of all of that ended with me getting a letter on my desk one Sunday morning saying I was no longer an employee at that church. Now, again, all of that set aside, if you're ever in that position, that's not the right way to handle that. But anyway, all that set aside, we walked through all that process and then we're gone from that church. And I would, in particular at night, anybody seem to struggle with this more at night than in the daytime? Anybody like that? I am. Especially I lay down. My mind starts going. And so I'm thinking of all of the ingenious ways that God could get that senior pastor. I'm giving him ideas. Lord, in case you hadn't thought of this one, here's another way you could do that. All right? And it would stir up within me. And then I'd get angry. And then I would feel, I don't know any other better way to say it, I felt like I had acid in my soul. That's the best way I know to describe it. It felt like acid. Almost like a bad case of indigestion, but it's deeper than that. It's internal. And I'm laying there, I'm wrestling, and I'm angry, and then I'm fighting. It's like, if I could just see him, I'd just beat the snot out of him. And, you know, and I just, all of this going on. This, hey, this felt good. That's the reason I compare it to old clothes you should have gotten rid of a long time ago. Because it was comfortable. It felt like the right thing to do. It felt good for the moment. Anybody who tells you sin doesn't have any pleasure hasn't done the right sin. All right? Because sin has pleasure for a season. The Bible does not teach that sin does not have pleasure. The Bible says it doesn't produce life. It produces death. The end of it is death. It never says there's no pleasure. There is pleasure in it for a moment. And you know that if you've tasted it. But in the end, it's bitter. It's bitter as wormwood. And so I would lay there and I would wrestle with all this. And my dear wife, who can sleep anywhere, all right, she's just sound asleep. And I'm, then I'm angry at her. How can you lay there and sleep? Why aren't you upset? And she was, just in different ways. She's going through her own stuff. And so I learned in those nights with the Lord. I learned to, first of all, I'd have to put off. I'd have to confess. I'd have to say, Lord, this is not consistent with who you are, so it's not consistent with who I am. And I would invite the Holy Spirit to come in and say, Holy Spirit, you've got to do a work here because I don't know how. I mean, I've been in church my whole life. I know I can quote verses and, you know, and tell you Bible trivia, all that kind of stuff, but none of that's helping me right now where it really hurts. None of that really seems to matter at this moment. Holy Spirit, would you do a work there, that place? I'm opening up. I believe personally, and this is my personal belief, this is the picture we have in Revelation 3 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Because he's talking to a church. I think he's talking to those of us who already know him. I mean, you can apply it for salvation. We have for years. But I think he's talking to those of us who already know him. But we've got parts of our heart and our life. No, no, Lord, you can't have access there. I'm going to go back to wearing my old clothes there. I'm going to do it the old way because that's what I understand. It's comfortable there. And he says, I stand there. If you'll open up, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with you. I'll do something miraculous there. But I'm not going to kick the door down. I'm going to knock. And so I would find myself, Holy Spirit, come in. I open the door. Come in. Do something with this. And then he would begin to prompt me with things. In this particular situation, 
he began to prompt and he says, pray for those who hurt you and despitefully use you. I thought, oh Lord, I'll pray for him, all right. He says, no, you pray for him everything I want you to do, you want me to do for you. You ask me to do for him. Lord, I can't do that. He says, I know you can't, but I can. And if you will let it go, if you'll just lay it down and you'll receive what I want to give you, I will do it through you. I'll do it through you. And he did. And it wasn't a one-time deal. For a number of nights there, it was night after night. And then it got less. Then there would be a whole week or two that go by and think, oh, I didn't have one of those nights. And then it would come back. Oh, Lord, here it is again. And he'd say, just do the same thing. Just come back to the same place. Do the same thing. Put off. Invite the Holy Spirit to cleanse. Put on. Same process. Over in every area of our life. It's not a one-time deal. It's not one area. As a matter of fact, you're going to discover the more you do this, how much of your life is really messed up. All right? How much the Holy Spirit really does need to take and change. Transform. Renew. But he will, each piece, each step. He'll change you. You'll get to the point where you can look back on these things and you can say, Lord, thank you for that. That was one of the greatest blessings of my life to walk through it. I couldn't say that years ago. I can say it now. God, you had a plan and it was good. I can see it. And if nothing else happened, I learned how to walk with you in a way, in a closeness that I never knew before. I had a mentor years ago who used to tell me, Troy, anything that forces you to your knees is a blessing. I didn't understand it in my 20s. I have better understanding in my 50s. Anything that forces you to your knees is a blessing. Anything that causes you to call on the name of the Lord is a blessing. Anything that causes you to open your heart and say, Jesus, here I am. Nothing hidden, nothing covered, nothing held back. Here I am. I'm yours. Right now, I want you to just, you don't have to close your eyes, but if it helps you, tune everything out, close your eyes. If not, leave them open. I don't care. God doesn't care. Whatever helps you focus. This morning, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's he saying? Is he calling you? Is he pointing out areas and saying, right here, you need to put off. You've got some comfortable old stuff there that you need to put off. You need to divest yourself of that. It needs to go. Your belief that it's okay, that it's comfortable, it's the answer. It's the place of refuge in your thoughts. It needs to go. Put it off. By his power, but you're doing it. You're cooperating with it. He's not making you, you're cooperating with him. And then you're asking the Holy Spirit to come into that place, that specific place, and cleanse, wash, to a shower to a spiritual shower. Do what only he can do. He cleans it in ways only he knows how to clean it. Now, this has nothing to do with my salvation. I'm born again. I have been made righteous and holy. This is this renewing process that he does in our life where he's dealing with that flesh, if you will, that old way of thinking. And then put on. Here's a simple question. I encourage you 
to make it a part of every day of your life. Jesus, what do you want to say to me today? Ask it every day, multiple times and every day. Jesus, what do you want to say to me right now? Jesus, what do you want to say? I'm listening. What do you want to say? I'm listening. And then just be amazed at how he speaks. How he uses his written word. How he uses his, his spirit within you. How he uses words from other believers. How he'll use a song. I mean, all, I mean, he's so creative. But he will communicate to you. And you'll know it's him. Because it does something internally that nothing else does. And no one else can do. Put off. Be renewed. Put on. This is how you get dressed as a believer. If I were going to title this today, this is how you get dressed. Lord, do a work in your people today. Help us. Help us. And cause us to recognize this is not a one-time deal. We're going to do this as long as we draw breath on this earth. But Lord, I'm also encouraged by the fact that I think we get better at it. We grow in it. We, we get there more quickly. We see that. And some things that used to be a real issue, Lord, they aren't an issue anymore. Now we've got other things that you're renewing. Lord, thank you for that. Cause us not to get weary in well-doing, not to give up in the fight. Lord, we want to live our lives with grace-driven effort. Not our, not our effort, not our fleshly effort, not human wisdom. It's just your grace driving it, inspiring it, filling it, producing it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you do. And remember, as I speak to you all now, there, in him there is no condemnation. If as you go through this process you have condemnation that did not come from him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There is correction, but there's also comfort. He does them both. He's a, it's amazing how he can correct and comfort at the same time. But no condemnation. That's from the enemy. That's from the pit. Lord, help us. Help us believe this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you some instructions here because I'm not quite done with my message. We're going to do a real-life, visible demonstration, picture of this, because it's given to us in Scripture. Do you know that baptism is a picture of what we've talked about here today? Baptism is a putting off of an old life, an old manner of life. It is being washed, if you will, and being and putting on a new way of life. As a matter of fact, often when you see someone being baptized, you'll hear the person baptizing them saying, buried with Christ in death, raised to walk in newness of life. And you think, why do they say that? That's why they say that. We're putting off, by His grace, we're putting off an old way of life, and I want everybody to know it. I'm being cleansed by His blood. Literally, baptism is a picture of the cross, really, for us. We're going to that place where Jesus died and made a way so that we could be cleansed, we could be washed. And then we rise up and say, Lord, I'll follow you. I want to walk in newness of life that you give, that you produce. So baptism is a picture of that. We're going to have baptism this morning. We're going to do it outside, right in the center there. You'll, as you go out, you'll be able to see it. You can go all the way around that little circle, except on one end there's a place set up for the children who are coming out of Elevate and all, because we want them to see it as well. So we're going to have them there. Now, parents, if you have kids 
speaker in that group, we, we're encouraging those kids to stay there. If you want to go over and say hi to them or whatever, or wave, that's fine. But we're, and we're asking you to leave them there. As soon as we dismiss, we're going to bring them back in, and you're going to pick them up as normal, okay? So all the kids go out together. They come back in together. That way we don't lose any or have them go with somebody they're not supposed to go with, all right? So they go out together. They come back in together, all right? So parents, you'll understand that. You'll be able to pick them up the way you normally do after we dismiss, all right? Now what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask those who are being baptized and those who are helping, assisting with baptism, uh, and also, we're going to have a little music out there, a little worship out there. So if you're part of the worship team that's going to lead us out there, you can go as well. You can go ahead and be dismissed right now. The rest of us are going to follow in, in about 60 or 90 seconds, all right? But you guys go ahead and go. This is going to be right out front. Now, those of you who are still here, we invite you to stay because when we dismiss from this, of course, there'll be the new, new to Life Point class that Pastor Aaron will be doing. Uh, and then we'll have the fellowship out under the trees, and you're welcome to stay for that. If you have to leave, you'll be able to leave from there if you can't stay with us today. Um, so when we leave this room in just a moment, if you want to take your stuff with you, you can, because we will dismiss our service out there, all right? So if you're not able, if you're staying and you want to leave your stuff in here, that's fine. You're welcome to do that. Um, but just so you know kind of what's happening as we go out there. Now, again, as we do this, and it's harder sometimes to hear outside, so I'm going to remind you why we do this. We do this because someone has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for their salvation, both now and forever. He is the only hope they have. That's what they believe. All right? Yes. And because they believe that, they're obeying Him because Jesus modeled this for us. He was baptized. And the Scripture talks about that when we believe, we follow Him in believer's baptism. And so we do that. We follow in believer's baptism. And so everyone here has believed, whether it's recently, some have believed even some time ago, but haven't followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And the Lord's spoken to them and said, hey, I want to do this. And then there's some maybe even with a different situation. Uh, I believe we have four or five being baptized today. We had a couple more who this morning said they couldn't for different reasons. And so we will baptize them at a later date. But I believe there are four or five who will be baptized this morning. And those who are baptizing will probably talk to them a little bit. It'll be hard for you to hear that. But generally what they're doing, in case you see lips moving, you say, what are they saying over there? I can't hear them because it's outside. They're asking them, is it your testimony that you have trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation? And that you are surrendering your life to Him, to follow Him. That's what they're doing. They're having a conversation like that with them. And they're saying, yes, that is my testimony. And then they're going to baptize them. Based on their profession of faith, they're going to baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because we believe three are one, and, and, and again, don't ask me to explain the Trinity, alright? That's a whole different thing, okay? And so that's what we'll be taking. So if you can't hear any of that, that's what will be taking place as we're doing that. All right? We want to do this together because it is a celebration. It is. And we celebrate. So when someone gets baptized, we clap, we cheer, we celebrate. This is a celebration because the angels are celebrating. The scripture says that. They celebrate. Well, they shouldn't have all the fun. We should get to celebrate here. Sin, sin may have pleasure for a season, but the Lord gives fun and pleasure that lasts forevermore. All right? And so we should be able to enter into that. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. And by the way, if you are um, maybe have some physical limitations or different things, it takes you a little longer to get out, you might want to go ahead and go now. All right? Uh, so, and I don't mean, that's, that is no way demeaning. All right? We just want to honor and recognize the fact. Uh, I'm getting old. Matter of fact, I might go with you because I've got some physical limitations. All right? But if you, it takes you a little longer to get out there, you go ahead and do that. The rest of us are going to just follow here in just a moment. So why don't you stand?